All opinions expressed in this podcast by participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinion of BioVerge, Inc. or its affiliates. The participants' opinions are based upon information they consider reliable, but neither BioVerge or its affiliates warrants its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied on as such. Nothing contained in and accompanying this podcast shall be construed as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation to purchase any security by BioVerge, its portfolio companies, or any third party. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to the BioVerge podcast with Neil Litton. We've got Juan Scarlett of One Valley Ventures today. For listeners not familiar with Juan, who is he? Yeah, so Juan is actually a good friend of mine, someone who I've known for, for many years now. So he is a managing director at One Valley Ventures. He's been a oh, venture capitalist and early stage investor for most of his career. Um, before One Valley, he was at Passport Capital he did uh, both, I guess, late stage venture, so you know, pre-IPO growth stage companies, and then he he sort of moved upstream to focus on early stage, and then his focus at One Valley is largely, uh, I believe, uh, you know, early stage, so pre-seed, seed stage, maybe Series A types investments uh, across various industries. So I, I know they have a sort of a focus on tech, but I, I think they do have a, a, a sort of a agnostic industry focus. So excited to have Juan on the show today. How unique is One Valley and its approach? Yeah, well, this is one of the reasons I'm so excited to have Juan on the show today is I think One Valley has done a tremendous job in terms of building an ecosystem to support entrepreneurs. So One Valley was previously GSV Labs. uh, And so they're really trying to democratize entrepreneurship in many ways. Um, And so just as I think what I'm trying to do at Bioverse is democratize access for investors, I think what One Valley is doing is sort of on the other side of the marketplace, really trying to democratize entrepreneurship and build a community of support for entrepreneurs and for founders. And so I, I think they're, they, ha- they have a presence in like, I think, 140 countries. They, they have, I don't know how many tens of thousands of people in their network. Um, and so, you know, you, you hear the age old saying, you know, it takes a village to sort of raise and build a startup. And, you know, they, they've built much more than a village. So excited to learn a little more about that model. As you mentioned, Juan's focused on very early stage investing, pre-seed and seed. Do you think it takes a, a different skill set for the investor than investing in traditional venture capital? I do. Yeah, I, I would certainly make the argument that early stage venture capital it's, it, is its its own unique asset class, even within the venture capital bucket. It is a entirely different animal than later stage VC, than you know pre IPO growth stage. So yeah, I think it takes a different skill set. Um, it's a different. It has an entirely different you know risk reward profile than even late stage venture. Um, so as you move upstream, you know, the, the risk is is much higher in terms of failure, but the reward is that much greater, right, to compensate for that risk, right? Risk reward are, are the flip side of the same coin. 
So I, I'm excited to talk to Juan a little bit about how he views the early stage VC as a distinct asset class um, and how he thinks about the investment decision process uh, within that asset class. What are you hoping to hear from today beyond that? Yeah, I, I'm just really excited to hear a little more about how they think about, um, you know, investing from, you know, within the One Valley umbrella, uh, the ecosystem that they've built to help support founders. Um, and then from the investor side, you know, what, what, what does he look for? Um, what are red flags in terms of, uh, you know, making an investment that, that could be, you know, critical points to watch out for? Um, so I think those are some of the key, key topics I'm excited about. Well, if you're all set. Let's do it. Juan, welcome to the show. I'm incredibly excited to have you with us today. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for having me. You and I have been friends for many years now. Uh, we share a lot of you know, personal uh, interests, but also professional interests in terms of investing, healthcare, you know, particularly early stage investing. Um, so today we're going to talk about your relatively new role with One Valley Ventures, its role within the One Valley ecosystem. Um, but before we get into that, I'd love to dive into your background. Uh, you've been an early stage investor since your days at Passport Capital. Uh, you know, early stage investing, I think in many ways, it's, is its own unique animal. So I'd just love to understand sort of what attracted you to this asset class, you know, what you did at, at Passport and sort of your journey to where you are today with, with One Valley Ventures. Yeah, thank you. Um, no, absolutely. So I, I've been um, investing in venture capital in, in one form or another for about the last 14 years um, uh, and, and working in you know, sort of technology uh, you know, research uh, in, in some form, uh, usually on the investing side uh, for the past 20 plus years. Um, I came to the, the early stage, as, as you know, um, through Passport Capital, which originally my position there was really more focused on uh, growth and, uh, and pre-IPO stage uh, investment opportunities. Uh, you know, Passport Capital is a, a multi-strategy investment firm, uh, and, uh, and in those days was was also, was also uh, you know, in addition to making a number of uh, public strategy, public market strategy, strategy investments, um, was was also focused on uh, investing in uh, you know, late stage privates uh, and getting access to interesting. You know, high-growth private companies uh, prior to um, you know them uh, you know, making their way to the public markets, like everyone does today on the public side. Uh, and so, um, you know, Passport had been doing that I think for probably about four or five years prior to me joining, uh, and had had some good success uh, and wanted to do more. Uh, and so, I initially joined to to help uh, that particular uh, strategy. Uh, and then, while there, um, you know, started taking a look at earlier stage opportunities that were coming sort of organically. Um, uh, by way of uh, you know the passport broader network and and by way of uh, a, a head of passport capital at John Burbank's uh, network as well and then that then led us to developing a strategy that um, that John had already started down the path of you know just making making some smaller private investments at the early stage uh, and so we started uh, you know that then led to the development of his family office Nimble uh, Nimble Holdings uh, and then uh, to, uh, to to Nimble Ventures itself. Um, which, uh, which is where I really started to cut my teeth um, on particularly early stage investments, you know, really seed, first institutional seed rounds through early expansion stage rounds. Uh, and um, you know, so from that point, probably 2014-ish um, through 2019, uh, led the early stage investment operations for, uh, for Nimble uh, and were fairly active uh, early stage investors, really working a lot with uh, you know, other seed stage investor partners, 
um, your traditional VC funds, uh, and, uh, and, and in some cases, identifying uh, through our own founder networks and investment opportunities uh, and, uh, and executing on, 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 on that strategy. Uh, and, and had some great success uh, there. Uh, and, um, uh, and I think you know, over time, you know, we started to, to look at what the sort of next, next stage of that particular, um, that particular platform was going to be. Uh, and, um, you know, there wasn't really as much alignment with what I wanted to do um, with my next stage. Uh, and so John and I started talking about what, you know, what that next stage for, for both of us can be. And, uh, and he was very supportive of, of, of me sort of spinning out uh, and launching my own thing. Uh, and so I, I spent uh, a little time um, you know, really looking into uh, launching my own my own fund, uh, and then actually came came to meet the folks at at One Valley, which was which was then GSV Labs, uh, and uh, and really started to get to know that platform, uh, and, uh, and 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 from there started to talk about you know, how we could potentially develop uh, an early stage investing platform for uh, for one that, that sits on top of One Valley or, or collaborates with One Valley. Uh, to take advantage of all the uh, the great uh, 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 deal flow coming through that that startup ecosystem, and so that really is what led me to um, to, to to launching to One Valley. So I, I want to dive into One Valley, but, but before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about just the the early stage venture sort of ecosystem, the asset class. I mean, as, as you said at Passport, you initially focused on more growth stage pre IPO companies. Um, I, I tend to think of kind of where you sit now in your focus as almost a distinct asset class from later stage venture. Do, do you do you sort of think that way too, or do you kind of lump you know all venture together as sort of one animal? And you know, within that, like how, how do you think about stratifying risk? You know, within the sort of early stage ecosystem specifically. No, you're you're absolutely right. Um, they they are two very different and distinct uh, asset classes. And I, and I think, you know, investors in those asset classes look at it that way as well. Although you will find, you know, a number of the, you know, the larger venture capital firms obviously have, um, uh, you know, some exposure to uh, to the very early stage in addition to, um, you know, sort of mid and, and later stages as well. Um, but they definitely look at them um, as distinct opportunities and certainly with different risk profiles. Um, and, 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 I, and I view it the same. Um, and, uh, and, and having spent, you know, a significant amount of time investing in both, they are incredibly different. Um, you know, and certainly the way you look at them is, is, is incredibly different as well. Um, and so, I mean, I think of, I think of early stage, um, you know, certainly as, as 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 early as you know two or you know one one or two founders or, or multiple founders, um, you know, with a, with an interesting idea, um, but but have done nothing else other than you know uh, sort of you know, talk about that idea with a bunch of people in their network. Uh, and figure out whether or not they could actually develop a product uh, that that makes sense. Um, you know, from that early all the way through, um, you know, you've, you've launched a product, you're selling it to customers, uh, and now you're trying to figure out whether or not your metrics work and whether or not you can actually scale, uh, scale go to market, uh, you know, in a, in a profitable way at some point in, in the near term, uh, you know, and everything in between. Uh, and so that that sort of that sort of you know pre you know, pre seed and even pre pre seed. Uh, all the way up through, um, you know, Series A is, is sort of where we where we where we focus on now. That's, that's where One Valley Ventures is focused. And and, and Juan, I, I always like to ask this question. I don't want to put you on the spot, but right, I mean, you're a professional investor in the asset class, right? So you know, institutional investor deploying capital. I mean, how do you think about this in terms of your, of your own personal portfolio? I mean, do, yeah. do you have personal exposure to this asset class? Do you think it's too risky for individuals? Do you think there's there's a place for it within a well diversified portfolio? How, lo- love to get your thoughts on that one. 
Yeah, I, I would say, you know, that that has really changed a lot probably over the last decade. Um, I think, you know, for one, you know, you really couldn't access uh, this asset class, um, you know, as a personal investor, unless you were a high net worth individual and an accredited investor. Um, you know, now there's obviously a lot more platforms, you know, certainly, um, you know, like, like BioVerge um, that, that give uh, investors, uh, individual investors access to this asset class in a very meaningful, uh, real way, which is fantastic. And I, and I do think, you know, as, as, as if you're an investor, a personal investor, you look at your portfolio, um, you know, if you're looking at a portfolio of, of, of investment opportunities, certainly I think um, early stage, um, you know, deserves to be part of that portfolio. Um, I think your own appetite for risk, um, you know, really dictates how much uh, that that uh, that asset class should be as part of that portfolio. But 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 in my own personal one, it, you know, it, it certainly does. Um, it certainly does 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 uh, does exist within it. Uh, probably a little too much. Um, just um, <laughs> yeah, you and me both. Uh, yeah, that's from my past uh, exposure, my closest to this ecosystem, uh, and closest to the founders. You know, I've, I've always obviously had uh, a you know the ability to access some great founders, uh, and uh, and and in some in some cases certainly put put some of my own money to work. Um, you know, in very small amounts, um, but, um, but 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 certainly as both an angel. Uh, and, and obviously, as participating, uh, you know, alongside my my own investment efforts, um, both um, you know, at One Valley and, and and prior firms as well. So, Juan, let's dig a, dig into One Valley a, a little bit. So, so you mentioned sort of sweet spot is identifying pre seed, seed stage opportunities. I mean, you, you guys have have built sort of uh, I, I think a really robust network of entrepreneurs, of innovative innovators. Really, this this sort of global ecosystem, I guess I, I would call it, for lack of a better term. Can you talk a little bit about that sort of ecosystem and and how you guys are trying to really democratize? Um, be, Access and sort of democratize the the sort of landscape for for entrepreneurs. Yeah, thanks. So thanks, for, thanks for that question. Um, yeah, so so absolutely. I think the One Valley ecosystem is is, is absolutely very vibrant um, and, and and a lot larger, I think, than a lot of people would think, and, and even that I knew at the time uh, when I first um, started to get involved with, um, with with One Valley the company. Um, but it you know it was launched back in in, in right around 2012. Um, as as you know by by GSV as by GSV Capital, which was you know GSV stands for Global Silicon Valley. Um, so even from those days, um, you know the the idea was at GSV Capital, which is which was a um, sort of a multi strategy investment firm uh, that launched GSV Labs as its early stage uh, in, innovation arm. Uh, and so even even back in those days, the the idea was to to bring this incredibly vibrant ecosystem that we have always seen in Silicon Valley to the rest of the entrepreneurs around the world and the rest of the investor community around the world. So that was sort of the original idea. Uh, and GSP Labs was that, you know, that, that very early stage uh, platform within that, you know, within the, the GSP capital uh, ecosystem. Uh, and, you know, originally I believe GSP Labs was really more focused on um, providing enterprises, enterprise partners of GSP capital um, with access to, um, sort of, uh, you know, innovative technology and innovative technology processes uh, in, a, in a variety of different ways. That over time uh, grew to uh, this um, sort of set of resources um, that uh, the GSP Labs now One Valley um, built uh, specifically for founders and early stage startups. 
Uh, and, you know, some of those, those resources included, you know, at, you know, at a basic level, you know, co-working spaces uh, in multiple cities, uh, um, you know, an, an online platform, or both off- offline and online platform uh, that included, you know, sort of startup education, um, you know, knowledge, uh, you know, knowledge based best practices, uh, you know, a community of, of, of tens of thousands of, uh, of other founders that were able to be accessed, um, you know, access to mentors and advisors, um, access to uh, to investors uh, that were interested in early stage. Uh, and then also, you know, a program of, of 80 plus uh, events every year that included, you know, startup education and networking events, fireside chats, uh, pitch nights focused on various themes. Uh, uh, and then, um, and then also, again, you know, that sort of access to, uh, to enterprises for partnership opportunities, uh, for early stage startups as well. Uh, and then, um, over time, they also developed, um, you know, sort of a B2B solution, um, that sort of further, uh, enlarges, uh, the, the ecosystem that, uh, that One Valley supports. Uh, and so they, you know, this, you know, this passport online platform that they have that, you know, that has been, uh, now used by you know I think it's I think it's thirty five to forty thousand startups that are active on the platform currently directly uh, that are accessing these different resources in, in a variety of ways, um, but they also uh, supply that platform provide that platform uh, Passport OS to other businesses um, to uh, to enable their own startup uh, and community building uh, and, and businesses like universities uh, foundations uh, other large enterprises that are trying to activate uh, their own. Uh, you know, startup uh, startup ecosystems in their own sectors, uh, and then also other other investors as well. Uh, and so, you know, all those different resources. And I should also mention one of the, one of the one of the one of the, um, one of the resources that are provided as well that that, that the guys at Wendell would kill me for not mentioning is that all, you know the startups who actually access the platform uh, and subscribe to the platform actually also get access to what they call you know perks, passport perks, which are these um, you know incredibly valuable. Um, discounts uh, uh, on you know, enterprise applications and business applications that that startups already use uh, or want to use. Um, you know, obviously, access to um, you know AWS and Azure and Google and uh, and then a number of different uh, applications like Airtable and Brex, et cetera. Uh, and so, all those things uh, are, are available to startups on the platform uh, and are being used by startups on the platform. Uh, and in a, you know, and again, in a very direct way, you know, that that ecosystem includes you know. 35 to 40,000 startups and their founders now uh, directly. And then, you know, the, the foundations and universities, et cetera, who are using the Passport OS, then also expand um, that, you know, the, the reach of that ecosystem by another 150 plus thousand um, uh, founders uh, worldwide. Uh, so it's a very, very vibrant uh, ecosystem uh, that um, has, uh, has over, you know, has over the last kind of five to seven years, birthed a lot of different um, and amazing uh, startups um, uh, that historically One Valley has not has not invested in hasn't had a a, a meaningful way to um, to invest in and, and, and so that is what led to the um, the you know, the, uh, the founding of uh, One Valley Ventures. Well, I, I actually didn't realize the ecosystem was even quite that big. Um, you know, as, as they often say, it takes a village to sort of raise a raise a startup, and I think you guys have built more than a village, more like a mini city, uh, if you will, and and you know across different geographies. And I think the other thing that's super important to realize is it's, you know, it's great to connect entrepreneurs and super important to connect entrepreneurs with, you know, advisors and, and other folks, but it's really also important to connect them with, with peers, right? Entrepreneurship can be a lonely road at times. And so, you know, having a network of peers to, to talk to, 
is it can be really critical um, as, as people are going through the the roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship because there's there are always ups and downs. It's never a linear path. So that's really cool. So let I want to now talk a little bit about what you, you sort of. Um, the the venture part of of what you guys are doing um can you can you talk a little bit about um your evaluation process you know what you're looking for in terms of you know making an investment you know uh, you know we have a lot of entrepreneurs who are listeners of this show we have a lot of investors as well so what you know what is your evaluation criteria uh, that you're looking for to, to make investments in companies that come through your ecosystem yeah yeah so 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 when i should say we have a fairly broad mandate um you know the companies that we invest in don't necessarily have to be sourced directly from one value, although we certainly believe that, you know, that we have a you know, distinct advantage um, in being, you know, within the one value ecosystem um, to, to finding um, those incredible companies um, before other investors do. But, but, but we also will be looking uh, at other investment opportunities out that originate outside of the one value ecosystem uh, and then using the one value ecosystem to support those investments um, as as they mature, um, but but in terms of you know the, the types of investments that we're particularly interested in, you know we're really looking um, you know like like every other probably early stage founder you know or early stage uh, you know, investor, but we're really looking for you know really dynamic founders um, you know that that are that are that are really attacking you know these very interesting problems uh, in, in in massive or potentially massive markets uh, and in, in a differentiated way and and and, and more specifically um, you know. You know, we don't necessarily have a, a, a sector focus, I would say, um, but but certainly you know, just by, by way of the the way technology has developed over the last you know, last five to ten years, you know every every company that we see that we're going to be highly interested in is going to be using you know, AI and, and machine learning in some meaningful way um, uh, to deliver uh, to either develop and deliver uh, or create distinct advantages for themselves and their customers, uh, and so that that certainly at a baseline has to be there. Um, uh, but then, uh, you know, certainly, you know, as we look at particular themes that we're, we're very interested in, the kind of, you know, future of, future of finance, future of commerce, um, certainly future of health um, are, are very interesting themes for us. Future of work, um, which I think has been a big one for everyone over the last year. Uh, and, um, and, and then kind of, kind of future of uh, you know, transportation and logistics. Um, so, you know, you know, really the different ways we think you know, technology will uh, in some form or another either change uh, uh, or enable um, you know, you know to any enable changes to those 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 different um, those different themes. Uh, I think over the next five to ten years are really where we're focused on. But but again, we have we have we have a broad mandate, and we'll certainly look at, at opportunities that are that are compelling outside of those areas as well. And then, as you think about evaluating new investments, I mean, you you talked a little bit about the the you know the team, the founders. But do you do you overweight you know market or team or the technology more so or, or less so than than you know the others? So you know some investors say you know market is my most important thing. If the market's not there, then it doesn't matter who the team is. Other folks say no, the team is the most important thing, and others say maybe it's the technology. Is, is there one of those that jumps out to, as the most important to you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, um, and, and and you're you're absolutely right. Um, I think you know, generally, if you talk to early stage investors, they they, they typically will have a pretty big opinion on, on one of one of those things. And we have to think about our evaluation processes. There's really focusing on, on the four P's and, and you mentioned two of them, you know, people, product, potential, and, and predictability, uh, you know, and people obviously being the founding team, you know, product being, you know, what, what they're serving up to customers and then potential being the market uh, and then predictability, you know, that kind of encompassing almost everything else 
um, you know, the business model, the go-to-market, um, you, know, the, you know, the financial performance, if there is any, at, that, at, at the pre-seed or seed stage, which typically there isn't much. Um, um, but, um, but, that, but that's typically the way we think about it, those four major areas. And we certainly do overweight people and potential a little bit more, just you know, slightly more than, than product and predictability, although your know, product comes in a very close third. Um, but, but among people and potential, I think we, we, we lean more towards people. Um, you know, we definitely like to see, you know, very strong founding teams, um, you know, ideally with, you know, with relevant experience uh, in, uh, you know, in the, in the market sector that they're, uh, that they're going after with a, with a clear, you know, clear knowledge of, of the product technology that they're developing uh, and, and a real, a real, a real view of what, what they believe their market to be uh, and where and how it will evolve over time and how their solution, you know, fits into that market. Uh, that that's really 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 important to us, um, uh, and, that, and that's not to say that we we think the founding team needs to be com- you know complete you know at the at the pre seed or seed stage. It usually isn't, um, you know. But 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 certainly um, you know if they're you know if if, if you know if the founding team does have um, um, you know those elements out out, out of the gate, um, you know, typically that that piques our interest. Uh, and then, and then certainly on the potential side, as you mentioned, you know, we certainly love to see um, big markets. But, but as you also note, as you also would note, um, you know, a lot of times we don't, you know, when companies are, are are launching a new product, it may be a very new product in in, in a market that isn't quite there yet, um, or at least it's not quite clear who the market, you know, who who the, who the uh, what the market is or who the product is for. Um, but again, if a founder has a has a good view of what they think that will be over time. Uh, and we can get there on that view with them, then, then that's pretty important to us. And then Juan, how about the the sort of flip side of that coin? So you talked, you just talked about sort of what you what you look for. How about um, red flags or warning signs or you know deal breakers? Are, are there certain things that you see that that pop up time and time again that are, you, you say, oh oh boy, no, you know, that that's a warning sign. We're we're going to steer clear of this one. Um, that's a great question as well. Uh, well, I, I don't know that necessarily are hard deal breakers other than, other than honesty. Um, you know, I mean, we certainly want, you know, founders, we wanted to foster open, open communication between us, us and any founders that we engage with. Um, you know, you know, we understand that founders are, are obviously, you know, selling their company and selling their vision. Um, but, but we want honesty. Um, uh, and, you know, certainly there's, there's some overselling and then sometimes there's, there's some drawing of the line between overselling and honesty, but um, but but we want honesty, um, honesty about their background, particularly, uh, and uh, and uh, and certainly honesty, honesty about you know, you know the company itself and, and where they've been and where they're going. Um, but but that's that's probably the only major one. I mean, I think you know, uh, you know otherwise you know, you know when we think, when we think about why we haven't made investments, it's typically because one of those kind of four major areas we think about with the four P's, you know, because, you know, we, we didn't necessarily believe uh, in one of them enough to score them uh, high enough in one of those areas to, to make it, uh, you know, to make the, uh, the investment make sense from, from our, just from a scoring mechanism. Uh, and so, you know, typically it's, you know, it, you know, from the founding team perspective, it's, you know, do we believe that the founding team can actually execute on the vision that they're, they're, they're telling us? Uh, and, and if they do, do we think that, that ex, you know that execution then will lead us to the next the next major milestone for the company and, if, and again if they continue to execute then does you know does the combination of those of those milestones you know build a company that looks attractive in five years um, 
if we don't believe that, then obviously that you know that that kills that kills an investment. Yeah, and and Juan, I think you bring up a good point, and I've I've seen this you know numerous times, right, where the honesty isn't there, or there's a misstep from the founder in terms of you know divulging their their background or career history or whatever it may be, and then you sort of you instantly lose credibility and trust, and once that trust is gone it's almost impossible to, to rebuild that bridge. Um, so, you know, the, the, that's the, right. That, yeah. that's, that's exactly right. And, and when you, when you think about, and particularly when you think about investing at this stage or any other, but certainly at the, at the very early stage, pre-seed and seed stage, these are relationships you're building that you expect to have, you know, if not for the remainder of your career, certainly for the next seven to 10 years that you're going to, uh, you know, if, if, you know, if the company's obviously, obviously still operational and, and, and still, uh, and still moving forward, um, those are long-term relationships. And so you want to start them off on the right foot uh, and certainly being honest and open uh, at the outset on both sides um, is, is key. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I mean, in many ways, these 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 relationships are, are like a marriage, right? It's, it's very long-term in nature. It's just the nature of, of these investments. Um, Juan, I, I want to sort of circle back and, and dive a little more deeply into the concept of, you know, you know risk, maybe risk-adjusted return. You know, how, how do you think about, you know, whatever you want to call it, sort of a net present value or an expected value of, of these types of investments, um, you know, because I've sort of become obsessed with the decision-making process. Um, and so as you think about making an investment, right, there, there's, there's the risk. And then the flip side of that coin is the reward. So h- how do you think about um, as you're making a decision, evaluating the, the, the risk and then also the, the upside and what type of upside are you looking for with your investments? I mean, the, 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 you know, is it a typical 10x plus return? Are you guys you know, looking for some base hits or, or singles and doubles in there as well? Um, I'd lo- love to sort of dive into that in, in a little more yeah. detail. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, on, on the risk side, um, you know, you know we, we, we sort of look at it in multiple different ways. Um, you know, certainly from the from the company standpoint, you know, again, you know, we, we you know, should look at the market risk, you know, product and technology risk. You know, one on, on the market side, you know, will will the market actually be receptive to the product? You know, certainly on the product side, you know, can they actually uh, can they actually develop uh, and and launch and deliver the product to market? Uh, and then you know, then there's the you know, the risk of uh, actually uh, of, of performance. You know, can, can they actually once they actually get to market, um, you know, can they actually find customers and uh, and, uh, and 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 execute in a, in, in, a, in a profitable way long term. Obviously, that's a, not the case for, for earlier stage companies. But 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 at a, at a base metric level, you know, can they operate profitably uh, in uh, in you know, in in selling the you know, the product in the market? Uh, and, and and are they really delivering value to their customers such that they you know ideally have some pricing power so that they're not getting eroded over time? Um, so so we certainly look at, at, at those as very meaningful risk. Uh, in addition to, uh, you know, that, you know, the people risk, the founding team risk, you know, you know how long has this team been working together? Um, you know, do we think they, you know, they themselves can, act, you know, because again, you know, the founding teams, those are marriages as well. Uh, and, you know, do we think, do we believe in this marriage? Do we think they can operate effectively together? Uh, uh, and, and so those are all very key risks that we look at, look at at the outset. And then if all those things are, are you know, are acceptable risk. Then we look at okay, well, what? Then if, if all these things are acceptable, what do we think the value of this this opportunity can be over time? And that's then where we start putting pencil to paper on, um, okay, well, what is the size of potential market now? What do we think it will be in five, five years, seven years, ten years? You know what? You know what sort of penetration do we think the company could have into this market? You know, you know how much of the market can they take? Um, uh, and 
Uh, and obviously we're discounting all, all of that significantly. Uh, and then, and then it's okay. Well, if the company can get, you know, if the, if the market is X size and the company can, can, can obtain Y penetration, uh, then what do we think the value of the revenues that they're going to, they're going to generate in five to seven years be, um, uh, you know, at, at that time? Uh, and, and is that meaningful? Uh, you know, does, does that then give us a, you know, a meaningful exit on our, our investment today and, and whatever follow on investments we do uh, in the company, uh, you know, at, at, at later stages, at the, at the post-seed stage, Series A stage, uh, and series, series B stage potentially as well. So that's, that's sort of how we think about it. Uh, and then in terms of, in terms of you know, our, our target multiple, certainly you know, very similar to other, to other very early stage investors, but we certainly are looking for companies that have that potential to be um, you know, runaway winners uh, in their market. Uh, and, uh, you know, and even these days, a 10x return for an OCH company for early stage investment doesn't seem like a whole lot these days, which <laughs> speaks to, um, I think the you know the um, you know the way the venture landscape has evolved, even just over the last you know, year and a half to two years, uh, in terms of the types of exits that we're seeing uh, in uh, in uh, in early stage uh, early stage venture. Um, but but certainly that you know from a fund level, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at you know fund level returns of of, uh, of eight to ten x, uh, and then that means then that we need to have the, the ability then to find, you know, a few of those really, you know, companies that can really hit it out of the park and return uh, the firm, the, you know, the fund multiple times over. Uh, and then that means that, you know, there probably needs to be some, you know, a triple digit return or two that, so, so when we look at investments, it's, do we think well, this can be a triple digit return um, and, and return the whole fund multiple times over? Um, uh, and so that, that's sort of the way we look at it. Uh, and um, yeah, and so when we break break down our process, that's where we're thinking about you know the whole way um, you know, the whole time. Yeah, and and Juan, I think there, I mean there's so much to dive into there. Um, and I, I I I'd like just to I guess take this opportunity to zoom out a little bit because you know you've talked a lot about the you know analysis you know thought process that goes into making an investment, but I think that can that is true for for life, right? And and just decision making processes that we use to make a lot of everyday decisions, right? What is what is the risk? What is the potential reward? Right? What is the tail risk? Um and you know I, I don't I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent here, but you know, Juan, you and I had had a very good friend, um, Ben, who was killed in an avalanche about two years ago. And and I think about Ben all the time. And I, I think about, you know, the, the, the tail risk and, you know, Ben was one of the smartest, you know, people that I've met, one of the most caring and, and generous individuals. Um, and I was really mad at him for the longest time. It's like, you know, why are you going out and taking that risk of doing, you know, hiking in the backcountry and, 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 and putting yourself in that position? But, you know, Ben was an extremely smart individual. He was, he was a professional investor. So, you know, he knew the risks going into that. And so, you know, I, I think it, he just assigned a very low probability of a bad outcome. But but I, 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 I always think about that. And, you know, for the longest time I was angry, but I, but I realized, you know, Ben was a, a risk taker in his life. And that is part of what made Ben Ben. And he grew up skiing in the backcountry. And so he knew the risks. So I think he just assigned a low probability of of, of, of that type of terrible outcome happening. But I don't know. I mean, I, I still have trouble wrapping my head around it. I, I mean, I'd yeah. love to sort of hear yeah. your thoughts about so, it. So, so yeah, you're absolutely right. Ben was, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I like you, uh, think about him uh, very often. Uh, and um, he, was, he was certainly one of, my, one of my favorite people. 
uh, in the world. Uh, and so, but I think you're absolutely right. The way that you're thinking about it is that, and, and Ben would tell you this as well. I mean, and we, I think we and I had multiple conversations about things like this. Is, um, you know, I mean, I, I think there's there, there is a certain value that people um, you know assign to um, to different things in their lives. Um, it's you know, and, and a lot of that is based on what you know what you get out of it. Uh, and so, and if, and if you're a thrill seeker, then you assign a very high value to you know to to to, to seeking and uh, and uh, and engaging in that in that particular thrill uh, thrill seeking activity. Uh, and, and yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, you, you think about what the downside is uh, if things do go horribly wrong. Uh, and, and 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 certainly he did as well. Um, but um, um, but yeah, you, you 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 typically would think you know an avalanche would be a low probability event uh, if you're taking. You know, particular steps. Uh, well, one in general, but but in the, but then if you're also taking particular steps, then you can decrease that um, that probability even, even further. Um, and so, um, so so yeah, I mean that that that's certainly like something that I think about a lot. You know, certainly as it relates to him, but also as it relates to my own decision making in life as well. And and and, it, and, and as you know, and you're probably more like me in that we're probably more on the conservative side. Uh, and now that I know, and that that you're a parent, I know that you're more conservative. Um, and since, and since I've been a parent a little bit longer, um, I've certainly been um, you know, certainly more conservative with, with, with regards to the types of activity that I that I engage in as well. Both both with, you know both you know, personally for my own recreation, but then also in my professional life. You know, I certainly think about um, you, know, uh, you know how how my, how the next the next thing that I do um, you know how that will impact you know the next ten years for not just me but for my my child as well. Uh, and so. Um, you know, all that leads back to, well, launching an early stage fund isn't necessarily um, the most uh, safe thing to do, um, but, um, um, but, but, I, but I do, um, I, I think, again, there is a certain um, enjoyment um, that I get out of, out of the work that I do, uh, and, and that means a lot to me, uh, and, and I think at least in, in this manner with, with One Valley Ventures, I think there's a lot of um, you know, there is this you know, incredible ecosystem that already exists uh, at, at One Valley Ventures that a lot of early stage investors don't necessarily, um, um, you know, get 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 access to when they launch their their initial funds. Um, you're usually out, um, you know, really relying on your own network um, or relying on your ability to um, uh, to go out and find uh, you know these little incredible um, incredible nuggets out there in the in the startup ecosystem uh, and um, um, so yeah, so so I, I think I think you're, you're absolutely right in that um, in the way I think about my life, the way I think about uh, my professional uh, my professional life, and the way I think about investing. Um, you know, you know I absolutely assign risk um, to uh, to everything that I'm engaging in, and, and I assign risk to uh, to the companies that I'm evaluating. Uh, and, uh, and 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 then we you know at the investment stage, uh, you know, we figure out well, is that risk worth um, worth what we think the reward will be. Uh, in five to seven or ten years, right, and then obviously the the critical component is what what probability to do you assign to that risk, right? Is it is it a ten percent chance of failure? Or is it an eighty percent chance of failure? Right, that's sort of where, where the rubber meets the the road. But you know, I I go, I go back to sort of sorry, go ahead, Juan. But no, I was, I was just saying, and that's a great point as well. And and for and in, in the way I the way I think about that, and I think the way a lot of early stage investors think about that as well is, you know, you think about you know, the way a company uh, matures over different stages, right? And at, at, the, pre, at the C stage, okay, you're thinking about, okay, well, what does the next 18 months, 12 to 18 months, 12 to 24 months need to look like for this company to be, you know, a success over the next 12 to 24 months, such that 
you know, at 18 months, um, they're going to be able to go out and start having good, meaningful conversations with investors at the next stage, you know, Series A, um, who will find this attractive. Uh, and then you do it all over again, uh, you know, for the Series B, for the Series C, and for the Series D. And so I don't think necessarily as you know, at the seed stage as thinking about, um, you know, the risk of failure over the next 10 years for this company. I think more about what is the risk of failure over the next 24 months. Uh, and and then let's talk about how, how we get the company to, you know, those next major milestones that will then launch into the next stage that will then launch into the stage after that. that that's sort of the way I, I break it down. Yeah, and, and Juan, that's a really, I think, a critical distinction um, is, is you sort of break it down into to those more near-term milestones. I mean, it's like uh, the age-old saying, right? How do you move a mountain? Well, one pebble at a time, or one yeah. rock at a time. Right? So what, what is that next de-risking factor um, that's going to allow the company to go out and raise that additional round? You know, one, one of the things that I've started looking at more and more for our own investments is the ability of you know, future, you know, investors to get excited, to understand the, the, for, for us, the science or the technology, right? So it's not just that we have conviction about investing in the company and the team and the science, but will they be able to sell their vision to someone else down the road and get someone else excited about it? Um, is that something, it sounds like that's something that you guys think about in your decision-making, but it, how much, how much do you think about it? Uh, if, if at all? It, 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 no, we think about it all the time as well. That, that's, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, we think about, again, you know, during our investment process, we think about, well, what, what progress does this company need to make um, in the next 12 to 24 months um, to ensure that the next stage of investors will find um, you know, this opportunity as compelling as we do? Uh, and, 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 and also that, you know, um, you know, you know, we will also be in that stage of investors, so we will also be thinking about making a next investment at that stage as well. Um, so, so, th- so that, is, that that's absolutely something we think about, uh, and that is part of our initial valuation process. Now, the big risks, there are multiple big risks there. One, uh, one being, you know, the company's ability to actually hit, you know, some of those major milestones that we think they need to to hit to to, to unlock that next stage of, of capital. Um, the, the other big risk is, well, does the market um, both, um, you know, uh, uh, from a from a technology perspective uh, and also from a, um, from a venture capital perspective change during that time? Because, uh, yeah, as you know, as, since you've been working in venture capital as well, people's mindsets about different areas that are that are attractive changes fairly quickly. Um, uh, and and so, you know, within 24 months, you can certainly have a, a big change in how investors think about um, particular uh, you know, areas of interest. Um, and you could also have you know, a market that could become you know, too saturated. You, know, you could have you know, you know, a ton of different uh, you know, competitive threats that, that come to market during the same time as your company. Uh, and, uh, and maybe they reach um, that next stage before your company does. And a lot of the investors that you would have targeted um, have already made, made their plays. Uh, they've already made investments. Now, you know, some firms have started to make multiple investments in uh, in, in in the same category, uh, and, have, and have figured out a way to to make that make that work for them. But we assume that that's not always that's not going to be the case. Um, so, so there is a certain amount of, uh, of, sort of sort of projecting and forecasting of where we think the market um, will be, uh, you know, in the next several years, um, and, and 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 do we think the company can actually get there um, before others do? So that's 
here as well. Juan, we, we could probably literally talk for the next two days about all these topics. <laughs> um, but but I, I, I do want to sort of wrap things up and, and just ask if you have any advice for founders, for entrepreneurs who are looking to go out and raise a pre-seed or, or, or seed stage round. Yeah, I mean, so... Uh, you know, my, my, my biggest advice is always, you know, obviously believe in, obviously believe in what you're doing. Um, you know, when you are going out to raise, you know, make sure you're targeting uh, investors, uh, you know, to, to both you know, primarily to save your own time um, because, you know, so many founders, you know, end up spending months and months of time, um, you know, really targeting the wrong investor and, and, and taking meetings with the wrong investors. Uh, and so do, you know, certainly do some research on, um, you know, the, 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 invest, the investor fit um, that, that you think is right for you uh, and, then, and then target those investors as much as you possibly can. Uh, and, 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 when, and certainly whenever possible, um, you, know, you know, reach out to those investors, uh, you know, as much as possible until they start, until they start responding to you. Uh, you know, and, and, and for us, you know, you know, for me, at least personally, it doesn't necessarily require a warm intro um, to, um, uh, to, to reach out to me. Um, personally, um, uh, but 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 for other investors, sometimes they do, and so so you know if there's a you know potential connection you can have with your network, um, you certainly try that. If you don't have one, then just be persistent. And and Juan, that's a perfect segue into if folks want to learn more about One Valley or One Valley Ventures or get a hold of you, what, what's the best way to learn more and get in touch with you? Yeah, well, so you can you can get in contact with me directly at uh, Juan at uh, theonevalley.com. Uh, uh, and um, you know you can you can learn more about one one valley itself uh, the ecosystem and, and certainly access all the amazing resources uh, that the ecosystem has to offer at the one valley.com uh, and, uh, and, and and you can also find our, our venture page there as well the one valley.com backslash ventures uh, and yeah you know please feel free to reach out um, uh, and uh, absolutely receptive uh, to helping out in any way we can. With that, Juan, I would like to thank you for joining me on the show today and, and a really great and, and wide-ranging discussion. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. I really, really appreciate it and uh, really appreciate and admire what you're doing with BioVerge. And, and certainly, obviously, wish, wish you all the best and, um, and, 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 and best, of, best of wishes, obviously, with your upcoming arrival as well. <laughs> Thanks, Juan. Appreciate it. Well, Neil, what do you think? I think that was a great discussion with Juan. I think we covered a lot of territory from early stage VC as its own distinct asset class. And I think you heard Juan dive into a variety of reasons why that is the case and how it's different from even late stage venture. Uh, I was excited to hear about the, the, the breadth of what One Valley has built in terms of their ability to support founders and, and entrepreneurs and help them you know, connect with advisors or strategic partners or you know, an ecosystem of other investors. So I think that was really exciting. And then, you know, you heard Juan and I talk a little bit about just applying the decision-making process to, to, to life um, in, in general and, and how we can take some, some of what we've learned from the investing side of the equation to, you know, just general decisions in life. And so, I, I, you know, I think that was, that was a really, really, you know, important topic to touch on. How do you think having a platform like One Valley has enhances its investment opportunities, but also mitigates its risk? Uh, yeah, Dan, I think it does both. So, number one, I think it it serves as a you know a, a, attraction for founders. So, I think it it must increase their deal flow tremendously because it attracts founders to this ecosystem of support. And then, of course, you know with 
within one valley, right, that support ecosystem will actually help create successful companies. So, you know, they're not taking a spray and pray approach and are saying, you know, here's my investment, you know, goodbye, good luck. They're actually trying to nurture companies and help them become successful. So it's almost like a, I don't want to say self-fulfilling prophecy, but I mean, in many ways it, it can be, right? So you're attracting high quality companies because of the ecosystem and that ecosystem is leading to good outcomes for investors. Um, so I think it's, it, it, it feeds on itself. And so there, there's that virtuous cycle there. Does the emphasis one places on the founding team surprise you given that founders are often not the executive talent that ultimately takes a company past larger venture finances? Uh, no, it, it doesn't. And you heard Juan talk, uh, I think, very articulately about the concept that, you know, they're, they're, not, pli- they're not necessarily applying a, a, a failure percentage to the company over its entire lifetime. What they're doing is they're breaking it down into different tranches. And so what, does, does this company have the right team in place to reach the next critical milestones to allow for that next tranche of funding uh, to attract a diff, you know, different investors to meet those milestones, right? So it's not that the founding team needs to be the founding team that might take a company public, for example. They need to be the right founding team at this time to deliver on the milestones that will help get the company to the next level. And I think that is really critical. Um, and I, and I really appreciate Juan's thoughts behind that. And so with within that framework, you heard him talk a lot about, you know, the emphasis on on the team and the, the full team doesn't have to be in place at the pre-seed or seed stage. But, they you know, they need to have the, the right types of people. They need to have uh, be thinking about the positions that they need to fill to achieve their growth objectives and meet their milestones and, and all those types of things. So, no, you know, it, it, it doesn't surprise me, but I, I think it was really valuable to hear his perspective in terms of breaking down the risk sort of across the spectrum of growing and scaling a company. A lot of compelling innovation is coming from unproven talent. I think back to the earlier discussion you had with Indie Bio founder Arvind Gupta and Indie Bio's Poe Bronson, and their focus on graduate students rather than the guys running an academic lab. Does it take an eye for does it take having an eye for unproven talent or is it a recognition that what it takes to get a company to the next fund financing or proof of concept may be a, a different type of talent than getting a product to market or having commercial success? Yeah, Danny, I mean I think that's a, a really critical question. Um and you know, I think there's a variety of different types of, of founders, of CEOs that can help create a successful company, depending where that company is within its life cycle. Just, you know, a brief example from from the BioWords world, right? We see a lot of, you know, scientists turn entrepreneurs who, you know, are maybe the CEO initially because they're the founding scientist and they are closest to the technology. And that's what that company needs at the seed stage. But that's not going to be the right person to you know, bring the company, you know, post series A or to commercialize a product. Um, And, you know, that person would be better suited as a chief scientific officer, for example. So, you know, there's the right skill set for the right time. And I think what you heard Juan talk quite a bit about was, you know, making sure that the right team is is in place at the right time to meet the company's objectives and near term milestones. Not that it has to be that exact right team that's going to stay there forever, um, and so, you know, I think what Ar- Arvind and, and Poe talked about is, you know, giving the, the, the younger generation, the young scientist turned entrepreneur a, a chance 
Um, and that's something that we fully support at, at BioBridge as well. Um, and those folks oftentimes are the ones that understand the science and the technology the best and are the ones that can go out and raise that seed round. Are they going to be the right folks to be in place to raise a Series A or a Series B? Maybe, but oftentimes not. Um, and so that's a conversation that investors need to have with, with the founding team early on. As an early stage investor yourself, do you, do you just come to accept risk? Do you look for ways to mitigate it? And do you think of it in the context of the life of a company or the life of your investment? Yeah, it's another good question, Danny. I mean, yes, you definitely, um, I would say you almost lean into risk as an early stage in- investor, right? I mean, that that is, if you understand where, you know, venture capital and particularly early stage venture capital you know, sits within the broader ecosystem, like this is risk capital. Like we should be taking big risk with this money and we should be expecting big results, big returns, you know, game-changing technology. So if that's not what you want to do with your capital, you should not be investing in, you know, in, in early stage VC. So yeah, and, and there's a couple of different ways of thinking about it. One is, you, you know, you want to push companies and entrepreneurs to constantly de-risk what they're doing, and that's one way to achieve value, right? I mean, the more risk you kill, the more value you create in, in many instances. But there is such a thing as, you know, de-risking your company to such a degree that there's almost no value left, right? So if you're constantly trying to de-risk everything, then maybe you de-risk away that big market or that big outcome. And so you definitely don't want to see that. So it, it is, a, uh, I think, a, a fine line that needs to be walked in terms of, de-risking it enough, showing enough progress, but still having that outsized return potential. So you can't, you can't de-risk everything away. And in fact, we like to see entrepreneurs taking big risks at the early stages. Well, until next time. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for listening. The BioVerge podcast is a product of BioVerge Inc., an investment platform that funds visionary entrepreneurs with the aim of transforming healthcare. BioVerge provides access and enables everyone to invest in highly vetted healthcare startups on the cutting edge of innovation. From family offices and registered investment advisors to accredited and non-accredited individuals. To learn more, go to BioVerge.com. This podcast is produced for BioVerge by the Levine Media Group. Music for this podcast is provided courtesy of the Jonah Levine Collective.